Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Monday the 30th of September and I've just been for my daily walk as I'm trying to re-establish some good habits after a few disrupted weeks of travel, speaking and overwork at the computer. My guest today is Vanessa Lilly, who is a long-time listener of the show and whose debut thriller, Little Voices, is out this week from Thomas and Mercer. We talk about dealing with reviews and being read and how Vanessa transformed from a free writer to an outliner. Before we go any further, massive thanks to those supporting the show on Patreon. I love speaking to you, but it takes a significant amount of time and money to produce the show. And having financial support on Patreon, as well as the emotional, intangible motivation of knowing that you truly value the show, makes all the difference and frankly, ensures that I keep on doing it. Welcome and thank you to new patrons, Nikki Blair and Claire Sager. Thank you. Don't forget that you can support the show from just $1 a month, and for $2 or more a month, and I think that's about £1.60 in uh, UK money, uh, you get access to the monthly extra audio, as well as increased access to me to ask questions and so on. There are 19 extras up now, with a new one going up in the middle of every month. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash worried writer and that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. So this month I've been battling with the third crow book. I know that I said I was almost done and I really did think that I was but the ending just keeps moving away from me. Uh, This is partly because there are parts which are messier, as in the scenes are in the wrong place, or I've realised that there is a better, more exciting way to order them, and that takes lots of thought, and then weaving together and rewriting. And it's partly also because the ending itself just got a wee bit more complicated the closer I got to it, and needed a few more chapters than I expected. I did actually write the end on the weekend, which is great. Um, But there is still, I'm very aware that there are a couple of big chunks that I know are absolutely in the wrong place. So there's still a fair amount to go before I'll really feel like I'm at the end. But it really is so close, which is a good thing since it's due out in November. Also this month, I did a talk for the lovely folk at the Borders Writers Forum. If you are a member of the group and have tuned in today, hello and thank you again for having me. It was so much fun um, after I got over my nerves about doing the talk um, and I really enjoyed the writerly chats after the official Q&A had finished. I actually wanted to talk about one of the things that came up in these sort of writerly chats, informal chats afterwards. Um, Somebody said that a person in their life had said something like, why write? Because there are enough books in the world and every story has already been done, or something to that effect. And it had really knocked this person's confidence and motivation 
And I realised as I was um, trying to advise this person that this was a doubt that I had dealt with a long time ago and I had actually forgotten that I'd once had it. So I thought it was worth maybe visiting here on the podcast. There is nothing new. There are no new ideas, no new stories, and that doesn't matter. The execution is what matters, and crucially, your voice. Nobody else has your particular point of view, your particular take on the world. Nobody else looks out through your eyes. So your book most definitely hasn't been done yet. Also, who cares? <laughs> who gets to say enough books? Who has that authority? It's not like writing books hurts anybody. This is not life or death. It's just telling stories. And who on earth has the right to tell you that you're not allowed to tell your stories? Now that is some world-class nonsense right there. And I think that it says far more about the person saying it than they would probably like. And also, I was thinking about the argument that there are enough books or that there are loads of books. And yes, there are loads of books which have been written in the past, and they are valuable and wonderful, but they are also products of their time. Books written now are products of this time, this moment in history, and that's important too. Finally, and most importantly, and this is something that I, I said to the person in person, but I think it bears repeating for a wider audience, think of a book that was just the right book for you at just the right time. Something that you loved with a passion, something that you fell into at a time you needed to escape. Think about that book and how you felt the first time you read it. It might be one that you've gone back to many times in your life as a comfort read or one that you only read once, but it transformed your world during the time you spent in it and you are eternally grateful. Now imagine that the author who wrote that book let self-doubt stop them or let a silly comment like this from another writer or a non-writer or a well-meaning person they will have felt the same fears, they will have heard the same arguments. They might have let that stop them. And then you would never have had that comfort, never have had that magical experience that means so much to you. Now go a step further. There is somebody out there right now who needs the book that is currently inside you. You don't know them and they don't know you, but you are connected by this need. The book inside you is the one story, the one voice, the one moment that will give them that same perfect experience. Nothing else will do it as well for that particular moment and that particular reader. If you don't write your book, that reader won't get to read it when they need it. Now that is a thought which I find massively inspiring and helpful and I hope you do too. On to more practical news. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but I have actually hired my husband out of his job one day a week. And so he's doing loads more stuff on the business to free up my time. So he's doing things like editing the podcast and the transcription of the interview. 
Now, I wanted to mention this because it links to my overall business plans, but also to what I was saying a moment ago. My mission, my why, is to write as many of the books I have inside me as possible before I shuffle off this mortal coil. Remembering that this is my purpose is very motivating, and I highly recommend um, that you think about your own why and your own purpose. And then, if it's also to write books, I highly recommend delegating stuff to other people as soon as you can afford to do so. This could be just something as simple as paying someone to do your cleaning to free up writing time, or if you're an independent author and running the publishing business side, um, as well as doing the writing, delegating operational tasks such as bookkeeping, um, and just keeping as much of your time your quality time, I guess, as humanly possible for the tasks that only you can do. Only I can write my books and only I can do this bit, the speaking to you on the show. Um, And of course, then there's things like replying to readers, chatting to readers uh, and social media and email and so on that I feel should be me and is me. Um, But other than that, everything else pretty much I think can be delegated, could be done by somebody else. And of course, I already delegate things like my cover design and um, my business accounts to my accountant. Being a massive control freak and also very cautious with money, this is something that I've resisted and resisted and resisted. Um, But having taken the step to have my husband work for me, or with me, I should say, uh, one day a week. It has made a massive difference, um, both to what I can get done and just my general sort of happiness and health. I don't think it's any surprise that this year will be my most productive in terms of book writing, and that feels great. Now, this is the moment at which I would usually answer a listener question, and I had a great one on Twitter from Joanne Mallory. Thank you, Joanne. I know I've mentioned stuff like marketing and branding on the show before, and I have been promising to tackle it, but honestly, I keep putting it off because it's quite a bit of work, and... Well, mainly because it's an area that I don't feel I've cracked, so I worry that I'm not qualified to talk about it. However, Joanne's question was about branding, so I've decided to make next month's show a Just Me episode, and I'll delve into marketing and branding, uh, my current thoughts, the stuff I've learned, and the tips that I took away from the 20 Books Edinburgh conference. Okay, I've committed now. Do shout if you have got a specific area or question that you would like me to cover, as I'll be writing the show and working on it over the next couple of weeks. Thank you again for the great question, Joanne, and to all of you for listening, subscribing, rating and reviewing. I'd really appreciate it. A quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. Karen Heenan, who is at Karen underscore Heenan, said that uh, she really enjoyed last month's episode. Uh, Karen wrote, since I'm also being published because of a Twitter pitch event, I can only hope that the rest of my writing career goes as well. Thank you, Karen, and best of luck to you. Um, Yes, Emily Royal's interview got lots of love, actually, which is really great. Her honesty about the sort of twisty, long and frustrating path to publication uh, was really well received. I just want to say a quick shout out to a long-term listener who is um, 
absolutely lovely and supportive. It's Susan Mann, who is at Susan K. Mann, and past a guest on the show, and indie superstar Adam Croft, at Adam Croft. And now, onto the interview section of the show. Vanessa Lilly has 15 years of marketing and communications experience and enjoys organising bookish events in Rhode Island, where she lives. She worked as an editor for a publisher before leaving to concentrate on her own writing. And her debut psychological suspense novel, Little Voices, is out this month from Thomas and Mercer. Welcome to the show, Vanessa, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm really a huge fan of your podcast and the wonderful interviews you've done with fellow anxious writers like myself. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening and for saying that. And also congratulations on your deal with Thomas and Mercer. That's so exciting. Um, Could you just kick things off by telling us a wee bit about your debut? Absolutely. Little Voices is the story of a woman who on the night she uh, goes into labor and almost dies, her friend is murdered. And at home from the hospital, um, she's struggling postpartum with a new baby. And um, another friend of hers is accused of that murder. So it's very much the story of a new mom returning to the person she was before um, and also investigating um, this crime and trying to find justice really for both of her friends. Wow. Well, that sounds very powerful. But we're, we're speaking a few weeks before it comes out. And we were just chatting before we started recording, and actually you've got some exciting news about that. So I wanted to ask how you're feeling. It's surreal, definitely. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I think the reason why I write stories is to connect with people. When I read a book, I feel connected to the story and to the author. And so what's been amazing, um, my book has now been out in ebook form for a week, through the Amazon First Reads program, which has been incredible. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I feel so lucky to have this experience. Um, and so I'm, you know, seeing people connect with the work. And it's sort of been a realization that, oh, this is why I write. And this is why I read. And so to have this experience has been, I think, really powerful and reaffirming in wobbly moments to be like, yes, like this is it. And to have people, you know, connect the story for a few hours that meant a lot to me, um, has been incredible. Well, you're, you're being very uh, modest not to say about how amazingly well the book is doing through being in this sort of first reads program. So the ebook being out first, but so congratulations, it is flying in the store and in the charts. So that must feel great. It is. It's really, it's exciting. And you got to really make yourself enjoy the good moments. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, you know, been the number one psychological thriller um, in the Kindle store for about a week and was also in the UK and Australia. Um, So, you know, from where I sit, it's like, it's pretty incredible. And I'm like, okay, this is a good moment. Let's take a deep breath and be happy and enjoy it. Um, Mm. I love the way that you're sort of saying there that you're you're having to tell yourself let's take a moment and enjoy it, which kind of hints at the um, the double edged thing. You're not complaining in the slightest about the excitement of it being out and being read and getting reviews and and so on. But I definitely struggled a great deal when my debut came out. I felt very anxious 
not a surprise to any long-time listeners. How have you coped with that? I definitely have been looking to the advice of others. Um, actually, you just had, is it Emily Royal on your podcast mm-hmm, the other mm-hmm. day? And she had wonderful um, advice that really hit home for me, which was, you know, I didn't write a book that would get three stars. I wrote a book that would be a five or a one. And I think I like that mindset, um, which is, you know, you want to come out swinging and you have to be prepared for some people to not like it. And even though you logically know that's going to happen as an author, to actually have the experience is surprising. And it, and it brings up emotions and triggers and things that, you know, buttons that have been there for a long time get pushed. And so um, I have been listening to different podcasts. Um, there's actually an incredible um, special on Netflix right now, Brene Brown. I think it's The Courage to Lead. Um, she's got some wonderful messages um, that I think really speak to writers, particularly just about um, who you we listen to and particularly, you know, really only let people only listen to the voices of people who are in the ring, people mm-hmm. who are also swinging, because in our culture, it's really easy to lob, you know, things from the cheap seats. <laughs> and, and that also, I, yeah, if anyone is having a bad day, <laughs> go, go on Netflix, get some ice cream and just sit down with Brene Brown for about 90 minutes and you'll feel better. (laughs) That is a great recommendation. I love Brene Brown, but I haven't actually seen that particular special. So I'm going to go and follow that advice later on today. (laughs) Great. I love it. And um, as you say, that kind of idea of, you know, logically that not everyone is going to love your book, you know that, but it's still quite tough. So well done. (laughs) You're doing super well. (laughs) And let's, um, let's go back a wee bit and talk about what led you to this point? What was your path to publication? So I, um, in my early 20s, I um, was living in Washington, D.C. I was there for graduate school. Um, I've always worked in public relations and communications and marketing. And um, I love those jobs, but I wouldn't say, you know, they're necessarily my passion or what, um, you know, kind of filled that creative place in my spirit. And so early 20s, I just felt so restless. And I um, realized it was because I wasn't writing anymore, at least not creatively. Um, Because I used to write all the time. And then just for no good reason, you know, life and school, I stopped. And so I decided that I needed to get back to it. So for the next basically 10 years, I wrote two different books, really round and round with those books. And I joined um, professional organizations. I went to conferences. I pitched it. These books, um, I joined um, or was selected for an online contest called Pitch Wars. And that was a great experience. And so I just sort of went round and round and I think was essentially learning to write in a lot of ways. And then, um, and I... With the first book, I pitched it at conferences and did a lot of first pages contests and ended up just shelving it. With the second book, that one I took much further. I think I queried over 100 and probably 100, 150 different agents, revised based on feedback, got a few R&Rs, and really worked hard on that book. But I think after maybe five or six years of back and forth on that manuscript, I was about to have my son, my first child, my only child. And, um, I just sort of felt like it was time to pause. 
And so um, I had him and spent a good year just not really writing. Mm -hmm. And I told myself, you know, at the end of this, I would sort of have a, a come to Jesus, you might <laughs> say, with myself and be really honest about what I wanted. And I really wanted a career as a thriller writer. And, you know, to do that, you can't necessarily write two books over 10 years. And I knew I needed to change my process. So um, I got my son into daycare two days a week because I could never write at home with him. It was really difficult. Um, and I decided to learn how to outline and I decided to learn how to do story structure. And I plotted that book over two months of two days a week. So not every day, but, um, and then I did national novel writing month. Um, this would have been 2016, I think, and wrote what would become my debut, a really bad draft of it in about two months and then edited it for a year. And then when I went back out to query, to query this book, you know, I'd had a lot of experience. Um, and so I had a very targeted list of agents I thought would be great. And within a couple months, um, my agent, Victoria Sanders, contacted me. She loved the book. We went out on sub very quickly. She sold it very quickly, which is uh, unusual. Um, and, you know, and on it went. So it, it was a very long 10-ish, by the time I sold, 13, I think, years um, but then once all the pieces kind of were in place, then mm -hmm. it went. That's brilliant. Thank you. And it, it makes sense to me that it would take that a, a certain amount of that time would be spent learning your craft, would be practicing. Um, you know, it's, it, I do think it's a complete myth that people just, you know, wake up one morning and they turn out a publishable, readable book, mm -hmm. you know, with their first try out the gate. But also with, along with that, the whole submission process, you know, it does take a long time and, there is a huge subjective element. So well done for persevering because that's, that must have been hard at times. It was hard, but there's the great thing about publishing today is that there's always a contest you can enter. There's a conference you can go to. There's a pit, <laughs> uh, like Twitter, you know, pitch contest. There's uh -huh. critique partners. I mean, you can really, you don't have to be publishing a book to feel like you're making progress. And mm. Um, you know, I, I made a lot of friends and critique partners and met great people. So, you know, it did take 10 years, but publishing feels amazing, but it definitely is not like uh, a goal in the sense of, oh, I've reached it. I mean, all along the way, there have been great moments and great things that have happened. And if you're enjoying the journey piece of it, um, even though there are plenty of hard moments, <laughs> for sure, um, <laughs> you know, you still, you can find a lot of really great stuff and ways to feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm, that's a fantastic attitude. And also in terms of choosing a genre, so the books that you were writing before, were they also psychological suspense? So the first book I wrote was not. It mm. was it was a women's fiction. It was basically an adult princess diaries is how I would classify it. <laughs> um, and the great thing about that is because I loved reading romances and I still do love romances. So I actually joined um, the Romance Writers of America and went to a lot of their conferences and they know craft. I mean, like I think no other, I mean, they're just so serious about it. And so I learned a lot of great things from them, but at the end of the process, I, I mean, I mostly read thrillers. So I realized that I needed to shift. And so the next book that I ended up really querying extensively for many years, that was a thriller. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it, it was not rooted in much of my own personal experience. It was much more research and just kind of interest areas. And so with little voices, I really took all of my feelings as a new mom, the joy and the terror (laughs) and put it into the book. And that worked a lot better for me, I think creatively. Um, I mean, the plot doesn't have anything to do with my life, but I very much said it in my town in the neighborhood and areas that I live. And so it, um, connected, I think a lot easier for me. Um, and I think you often see with a lot of debuts, the writing stories that are nearer their experiences. Those are the ones that seem to really hit and click. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think what was nice about the book that actually went somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's something about that emotional truth. Mm-hmm. You say, you know, it's obviously it's fiction, <laughs> um, But there's an emotional truth, I think, that when you are willing to dig in a wee bit Mm -hmm. to what's in your heart and soul. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it Mm. comes through on the page. And you can just write so quickly and effortlessly about things that would take you months and months of research and, you know, wouldn't be done as well because you hadn't lived it. And I think if you can tap into those experiences, it is a sort of shorthand. And then, you know, many books later when you have more experience and building a whole world or something is a little easier for you. Maybe that's when you can go down that road. But that was a big lesson for me was to just um, kind of use what I have and put that into the story. Mm. And when when you got the deal with Thomas and Mercer, that must have felt great. Um, And was that for a one book deal? Or is it a two book deal or more? Yeah, it's a two book deal. Uh So I, um, I should actually in the next week or two get edits um, for my second book. So I did, I wrote, I wrote it as quick as I possibly could, um, because I knew, and I had been told by many wise authors that the second book is very difficult. And once reviews and things start coming out, you can really feel blocked. And that felt like something that would happen to me. So I pushed forward quickly on this and, um, and it's def it's different than little voices, but, um, I, I, think it's going to be exciting. We'll see. I'm trying and working in the um, kind of unlikable female character, um, which has been done so well in the genre. So I'm excited to kind of explore that and explore some other um, feelings and experiences. So we'll see how it goes. But yes, the second book will be out next fall. Brilliant. And that is very good advice, um, as you took yourself to get on with it before you start getting the exposure from the first one. So that's great. And um, let's talk a wee bit more about writing process. So you've mentioned there popping your son into daycare a couple of days. So I'm assuming those were the writing days. Is that still how you're working? Yes, he's um, he's four now. So he's in school four days a week. And that's um, when I write. Because when he's home, um, unless he has a little friend over playing, you know, it's just really difficult to just be pulled in and out of the story. Um, and so I, I mostly just write as much as I can on those days. And then in the evenings after he goes to bed, because when I am writing, it feels like a sprint. I mean, I just want to get there as quick as possible. So it is all consuming, Um, sort of like nano almost. I feel like, you know, having that, the National Novel Writing Month experience, it became formative because now that's really how I 
prefer to write is to just get it down as fast as possible and, you know, kind of go about it in phases of revision. Um, and so I usually will write in the evenings um, as well after he's gone to bed. And obviously having that compressed amount of time as a busy mother of a small child has, is, you know, is quite useful for sprinting and for that focus. But are there any other things that you do, any techniques that you use to help you focus or get into that flow state and use that time? Well, I do. I love music. Um, so I usually make playlists and search for um, different songs that I listen to right at the beginning of when I'm writing to just signal to my brain, you know, that we're working. Um, I also find that if I'm at um, a coffee shop or someplace in public, I write a lot more. And I think there are studies that say one of the number one productivity tools is uh, anticipating the judgment of others. And so I, you know, when I'm around other people who are working, I find myself working a lot. And what I usually get done in those few hours is, I would guess, significantly more than I would have gotten at home where you almost can hear the laundry calling you from the other room or (laughs) you need to organize your sweaters or the many distractions you have. So I, particularly when it's hard, you know, I try to trick myself and figure out the best path because every day it's different. I mean, you wake up in a different state of mind. And so you have to really, you know, be honest with yourself about how you're going to get the work done. Mm, I think that's an excellent point that every day it's a new, it's a new battle has started like today. How am I going to do it today? Yeah. That's a really good point. And you, you know, there were some, some days when I take him to school and I just feel wrung out for whatever reason. And it's like, then I'm going to sit in my bed and write, or if I'm feeling great and I want to, you know, brush my hair and put on some clean clothes, maybe I go to a coffee shop, but you just never know. And you have to just, as long as the work is getting done, that's really what matters. And do you kind of track the amount of work that's getting done? Do you aim for a particular word count or is it more a kind of gut feeling of, aha, I did some work today or no, I didn't. I, when I'm with the first draft, I'm very interested in word count. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, I really am pushing to try to hit 90,000 or however many words. Um, but I'm also because of the 10 years when I basically wrote by the seat of my pants, um, and it didn't work for me. Um, I'm very focused on structure. And so I'm like, you know, which am I about at the midpoint? Am I, you know, nearing the third act? Is there, should there be a turning point here? Um, so that when I'm at the end, it won't necessarily be, you know, it's not going to be a great draft, but at least it will be, um, the pieces will be in place that I can revise in a way that hopefully will be a little bit easier. (laughs) So I'm both mindful of word count, but also mindful if I'm really hitting the structure in the right ways. Mm. And as a reformed free writer, um, what helped you develop an outlining process? Um, Do you have any resources or tips the Donald Moss um, breakout novel workbook and book are what I use primarily for little voices. Um, and then there's also uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel, which is a wonderful, more recent resource. Um, and I think it's what I loved about writing by the seat of my pants, and I still love, is the surprise and the feeling of creativity. And I think for a long time, I had in my mind that if you structured and outlined, you didn't get that feeling. But I think, um, you know, the outlining process can be creative. It can be surprising. And so just kind of opening myself up to it, 
happening in other ways or as you're writing, you know, new things happen, twists happen and you just revise your outline. But I think my biggest problem was that the story would just get so big and so unwieldy, you know, that I would lose it. And so with a more serious attention to structure, that just happens a lot less. And I'm much more focused on the goal, which is, you know, having a complete story versus just the creative experience of exploring a story. Mm, Absolutely. And do you um, handwrite when you're um, plotting and planning? Or do you do it in a Word document? Or do you Scrivener? Or I do whatever I feel like I need. So (laughs) there are in the let's say, with my second book, I just wrote, it took me about six ish months. And from week to week, I would just have different feelings like, um, I have to print this out and I have to sort it by chapter and I have to look at it on the ground and I have to think about it. And then, and I would just trust myself and do that. And usually certain things would come together or I would, um, feel like I need to get a big piece of paper and handwrite all of the beats out and look at it. And so just kind of listening to wherever my anxiety was and whatever was bothering me and finding tools. I absolutely use Scrivener, you know, when I'm feeling Structure especially is great with Scrivener because you can um, take all of your scenes and put them on a board and you can um, move them around easily and revise things. Scrivener is great for that. Sometimes I just want everything to be in a one word document and to see my word count and to consider what's left. You know, it just it varies all the time. And so that's maybe kind of scary sounding to think you have to do 10 things, but you don't, you just have to listen to whatever problem you have. And then I guess I'm just open to whatever tool will help me get through this patch Mm -hmm. um, versus being like, no, I have to stay in Scrivener or no, I have to hand out, you know what I mean? Like I just am open to the fact that it's a free throwing process. And Mm -hmm. like every day is like a little bit different, whatever that battle is. Mm, absolutely listeners can't see me nodding away in agreement here Um, I think being willing to just try different things when you're stuck or when it's it's hard is is really powerful and while we're talking about being stuck um, obviously it's the worried writer so do you ever get creative block absolutely it happens a lot and um, I do generally just tell myself we just are going to write a bad scene today and I make myself right and I will be kind I'll like get my favorite popsicles and I'll be in my favorite pajamas and I'll probably be laying in bed and I'll be like a little bit sad but I do it and then um I think it was maybe James Patterson who said when I've had a great writing day or when I've had a bad writing day you can't tell the difference on the page mm-hmm. and so even if it's tough, I just make myself push on and say, maybe I'm going to throw every word away and maybe I won't. Usually I don't. Usually it's fine. Mm. But to get there, I will just tell myself what I need to hear to write. It's very comforting, isn't it, to remind yourself that mm-hmm. actually you're not going to be able to tell in the future. <laughs> that really, yes, mm. that really makes It's much more what you have going on when you're actually sitting down to write, you know, creation happens at at any number of (laughs) mental places. So as long as you sit down and do it, 
you're probably going to be okay, even if it doesn't feel that way. And is it when you're drafting or when you're outlining or a different sort of part of either writing or publishing that you're most likely to get really kind of anxious or filled with self-doubt or, or blocked? Yes. I, when I'm <laughs> All of the I'm, above. <laughs> all of it. You know, something I've just discovered with Little Voices and the one I just wrote, <clears throat> I found I'm scared a lot. Um, or scared about what people are going to think or fear to me block is a big blocker and imagining people not liking it. Um, but then I also tell myself that, you know, if you're not writing from a place that makes you nervous and you're maybe not doing it right, like you want to be nervous, you want to be putting things out there that you're a little bit uncertain and it's basically vulnerability is what it is. And from vulnerability, this is like Brene Brown, probably I'm just regurgitating, but I feel like with a place of vulnerability, you're um, allowing good things to happen. And you're allowing deeper connections. Mm. So I often get nervous and scared. But I just tell myself that that's because I'm writing from a vulnerable place. And that's, you know, where the greatest connection to the reader can happen. Mm. Absolutely you know, ask me in a few weeks if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of kind of writing um, thrillers or psychological suspense as well, I imagine that there are ample opportunities to be writing something and then think, oh, is that too much? Or that fear of judgment? Or what will somebody think about that? Absolutely. But I think if you if you think about your own writing, not as a writer, but as a reader, so what do you love? And I love to be shocked. I mean, I love it when a character does something that is just on the edge of not believable. I mean, I, I like to get that gut punch of, wow, this is crazy. That's my favorite feeling. So, I mean, that's not everyone's favorite feeling, but that's my favorite feeling. And so that's, I think, a lot of what I'm pursuing in my writing. I like, you know, I love twists. I love turns. I love characters that really push you to the edge of, morality and um, good and bad decisions. And when an author can really surprise you, um, to me, that's the best feeling as a reader. So I, I, I try to do that as a writer as best I can. And, you know, and so you can only write whatever works for you. And so I tell myself it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic advice. So obviously, you've mentioned Brené Brown, who I, as I said, I also love. Do you have any other tips or resources um, that you would recommend to other anxious authors? I, I definitely recommend podcasts. Mm -hmm. I, my son's daycare is about 20-ish minutes away. So I listen to almost a half hour, 45 minutes of podcasts every day. And there are so many great writing podcasts, including yours and Joanna Penn. And just to hear interviews with authors talking about their process, I mean... I've listened to, I mean, thousands of hours of podcasts and not once has anyone ever sounded like they had it figured out, even <laughs> pretended to have it figured out, um, you know, and so it makes you learn and, you know, sort of get, um, it's like a writer's class or MFA, you know, in your car or however you listen to podcasts and you discover new writers, you discover new approaches to work. Um, so I would say, you know, just trying to find other voices and people who have walked paths that you're walking you can just learn a lot and and become fans of people you know of cheering different podcast hosts on and um 
and their work. And it, you know, it takes a lot of time and, um, it's a really awesome way to feel like you're in the community. Mm, Definitely that connection, knowing that you're in the trenches with other folk doing the same and feeling the same. Yes. Yeah, no, that's lovely. And so on to something that, again, I think most of us probably do fret about to a, a greater or lesser extent. And that is the sort of marketing side and things, which obviously debut, you're now headlong into all of that. But you've got a bit of a step up with your years of experience in marketing. How have you found author marketing for yourself so far? Mm -hmm. I do love um, marketing and that's my background. Um, And I think the most important piece of that is to really focus on a couple things that you love or that you um, won't drag your feet to accomplish. Um, for example, I thought I would love, you know, newsletters and that I would be sending out newsletters all the time. And I'd like newsletters, but I ended up that I only send them out every few months and that's okay. What I love is Instagram. Um, that's my favorite thing right now. And so I love um, sharing photos of books I love. I like um, communicating news, the little story features. You can put up goofy stories of my son and you connect with people. Um, I think finding the one or two things that you really don't mind doing and maybe even can enjoy. Some people are great on Twitter. I'm not great on Twitter, but I love, you know, retweeting people's news, but other people have found, you know, thousands of um, readers and people who want to follow along on their journey in that medium. So just finding the thing that you really can do well is a key piece of it. And, um, and also thinking about, what do you want to know about writers that you like? And then just turning that lens back on yourself. Mm. Um, so if you're interested in their writing process, then share yours. Or if you're interested in the flower garden in their yard, show theirs. Or if they get a new puppy, show <laughs> your, yours. You know, like just kind of think about it, not so much um, about you, mm. but from the perspective of, um, authors and other writers and readers and what things you enjoy and then try to contribute in that way too. Mm, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I also like the idea of narrowing down because it's so easy to get overwhelmed with all the things that you could do. <laughs> well, particularly if you're um, a new writer, a debut writer, you just, you cannot do everything well. Mm. There's no way. And your publisher is hopefully going to give you lots of support, but at the end of the day, you're the one who's really going to be doing um, a lot of the legwork because after your book is out, publishers move on. That's just the life cycle of books. And so, you know, if you are making yourself put a newsletter out every week, you know, it's going to be a real slog after the fact. And so I think if you actually are like, no, you know, I like, um, I like creating a Facebook group and talking about books I love. That's how I want to connect to people. There are, I'm a member of several authors, Facebook groups that are fantastic and you can tell that they love doing that work. And so it's, it's great to be able to feel like you're doing something, but that it isn't work per se. It's actually coming from a place of, of joy. Mm, Absolutely. And in terms of time management, whatever it is that you choose to do for marketing, then there, you know, it's sort of things can expand a wee bit time wise, um, and also, of course, we've got our refresh habit on on the uh, <laughs> on the internet, yeah. <laughs> checking yeah. our rankings and so on. Mm-hmm. 
have you found that encroaching at all or are you being quite how are you managing to balance I guess the the sides um I'm right now I'm trying to do a a little something every day so because I'm mostly focused on um, Instagram I'm trying to do one post a day and then a few stories a day um which maybe doesn't sound like a lot but it is a lot for me (laughs) and um you know I think not I don't know not imagining that you have to do everything every day to just sort of make some goals for yourself um whatever it might be maybe um, send an email to a podcast you like, or send an email to um, a, a book group that you like, maybe once a week, just set things that feel obtainable so that you're not waking up every day thinking, Oh, I just didn't do anything yesterday. You know, it's like so easy to beat yourself up for some, I don't know, hyper marketing robot that just <laughs> does everything well, whatever that is, you know, just make some reasonable goals and try to stick to them. And, um, And be nice to yourself if you don't reach them. But I think just the, it's a game of inches and just kind of bird by bird, (laughs) pushing yourself forward a little bit. And it will add up to hopefully you finding readers and kind of connecting with people. Mm, Absolutely. And um, in terms of marketing, um, do you have any resources or did you do, say, a course in Instagram or anything like that? Or was it just that's the platform you enjoy so you kind of knew how to use it? Yes. Yeah, so I have been just being in the community for a little while. Uh-huh. I think, um, you know, at first just join and be a part of something. You know, if it's newsletters, subscribe to a lot of author newsletters and read them and, and see what they're doing. For me, I started following a lot of um, authors I liked, and then Bookstagram, which is sort of the book review community of Instagram, just following people on seeing what they're posting, what their stories are like. Um, and then just, you know, giving yourself time to just slowly wade in because sometimes if you come out guns blazing, you know, it'll exhaust you and it isn't really authentic either. You know, you just kind of have to build slowly. So I would say, as soon as you can just start looking around for something you think you would like and just join communities and be a good member of that community and participate and share. And then it'll organically, hopefully kind of happen. You know, the day before your launch, you don't want to like start a newsletter, start an Instagram account, start a Facebook, (laughs) you know, know, it won't work. Mm. So don't stress yourself out about it. Just take your time and, and find the thing that's right for you. Mm, that's really good advice. And again, that sort of research phase and modeling, you know, seeing really getting into what are other people doing and what do you like about it and whether it's something that would suit you or not is such good advice. Thank you so much for sharing. So what is, um, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone, <laughs> um, but um, what is, I was going to say what's next for you, but I'm guessing it's book two. Yes, I'm very focused on um, book two um, and then um, you know, we'll see. I've got ideas for three and four. Um, mm. I, I'm a, I like to stew on things. I'm kind of a marinator. So I've just been thinking about these other ideas and um, and we'll kind of see how they come together. Mm, fantastic. And of course, when this goes out, I think it will just be possibly even the same day as the paperback big main release, if you like, of Little Voices. So congratulations from me in the past to you today. <laughs> Thank you. I hope future Vanessa has everything figured out. That's 
Good luck, future Vanessa. I have every faith that future Vanessa will be totally on it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I'd just like to finish up with saying, where can people find out more about you and your books online? Great. So uh, my website is vanessalily.com. And my last name is L-I-L-L-I-E. And I'm very much on Instagram, also Vanessa Lilly author on Facebook, my first and last name on Instagram, and I will retweet things on Twitter. So I am around there, here and there. So I would love to connect with people. So definitely, please, any listeners, uh, reach out and we can be worried writer podcast fans together. (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. But thank you again for your time. That was great. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag worriedwriter. See you next time.